That's that. why they've been tuning in week after week. Now the moment you've all been waiting for. Joe Hundred Guy will count to 100 by 10. <laughs> Welcome to episode 100 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Did you ever think we'd make it this far? Did you ever think this pinball podcast would survive this long? Uh, It's been over a year since I first had this idea to create Canada's Pinball Podcast. And when we first began, I was actually going back and listening to my pilot episode. And it's amazing to hear uh, how it all began and I think how far we've come in how much better the podcast has become, but ultimately uh, that the podcast has become a source of entertainment and a source of value for so many of you out there. I really could not do this podcast on a, on a weekly basis if it wasn't for all of you out there who chime in, who send me emails, who keep telling me when I go to shows, I love your show. I listen to it all the time. Keep up the good work. I don't want to name names specifically, uh, but you know who you are. If you listen to this podcast from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. It is because of you that I do this every week. And it is because of you that I was trying so hard to get this interview lined up for episode 100 because I really wanted to give you guys something of incredible value as we celebrate this milestone with Canada's Pinball Podcast. And we're, we're going to air that shortly, this gr- great special guest that I, that I really enjoyed talking to, and I think you guys will love the conversation we have. Um, but what are my thoughts you know, as we think about this milestone and all the different episodes we've done? And what have, what have I learned throughout this whole process? And I, and I say this, I've learned a few things. I've learned that pinball is probably one of the most incredible hobbies that one can be involved with. I think pinball contains people that are so passionate, that are so into it, Uh, that it makes it entertaining day in and day out. I don't experience that with any other hobby I'm a part of. I have to say that. I also think because of that, people go overboard with pinball. People get hyper-obsessed with pinball. You know, people say stuff on forums and and they they get dramatically involved in conversations uh, to a point where it just becomes absolutely silly, right? The things we fight about, the things we complain about in pinball are ridiculous. Try explaining them to friends of yours who are not into pinball how upset you are uh, that the trim on Attack from Mars remake is green and watch them slap you in the face, right? Um, But I'll say this. We are in a great era of pinball. If you're not excited for what 2017 and 2018 holds for pinball, uh, I don't know what world you're looking at because I see nothing but exciting things happening. But I'll also say this. I also believe that a lot of people out there saw this pinball resurgence coming and they jumped on board without the knowledge and the know-how to run successful pinball companies. So as much as there's going to be great victories and great new pinball machines that come out over the next year or two, I think we're also going to see companies fail. And I think we're going to see more people lose money. And that's part of pinball. 
Because so much of what's defining pinball into the future is the collector. And collectors don't use their minds. They use their hearts. And if there's any other hobby I've seen where, where people just chase stuff emotionally, it's pinball. People handing John Papaduke 30 plus thousands of dollars uh, when the man never even showed he had a company. People pre-ordering games for years. So that's pinball. People love it so much that they behave in a way that contradicts all logic. And that is why we also love it. Because it is a place where uh, our hearts and our nostalgia like drives us towards the future. It's not about common sense and it's not about thinking logically. So I want to, before I air this amazing interview and this chat with this amazing person, I want to ask you guys a series of questions, right? We talk so much about all these pinball manufacturers and what's going on and, and how there's all this competition in pinball. And while there's a lot of machines coming out there, uh, there really, there really is only one major player in town. And we know that. And I want to ask, I want you guys to ask yourselves a few questions as, as you think about pinball. Which manufacturer out there has never taken pre-order dollars and then not delivered a game? Which pinball manufacturer out there has the best people in the industry coding machines? Which manufacturer out there, if it weren't for them, there would be no new in-box pinball machines? Which manufacturer out there will release at least, at least three games a year based upon some of the greatest themes out there? Which pinball manufacturer out there will say something and then deliver on what they say? Which pinball manufacturer will announce a game and you'll have it in your home, most likely within two months, not two years? You know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Stern Pinball. And I think Stern Pinball is this company that we all should be thankful for. And I know a lot of people sometimes get critical of Stern. But the vocal minority who complains about Stern is just that. It's a vocal minority. The majority of people out there love Stern Pinball. I love Stern Pinball. I love what Stern Pinball brings to the pinball world. And they are it's a company filled with people who are very passionate about pinball. And I am excited. I am excited because over the next couple years, if what I'm hearing is true, you have yet to see what Stern Pinball is capable of. And for those of you who are really looking forward to innovation and magic and worlds under glass and, 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 and seeing like how far a game can be pushed, I think you're going to be blown away by what you see coming from Stern Pinball over the next couple of years. And the reason why I'm excited, right, and the reason why you should be excited is I know that they will deliver on my expectations. And I know that games will come out. You know, it is almost comical when we think about how all these other manufacturers, for the most part, they whet our appetites and then make us wait years, years. I won't even name names, but you guys know who they are because I want to keep this podcast positive and, and, and focused on Stern. And the, the fact that Stern 
month after month continues to ship and deliver games that I can go to any distributor and order from a wide variety of themes a new pinball machine and have it arrive at my door, whether I like Metallica or Star Trek or ACDC, right, or Batman or Ghostbusters. Uh, you know, it just, the list goes on and on and on. It's soon to include Star Wars. Uh, it's just incredible what these guys have accomplished. And I think they've turned a corner too and are giving us even more innovation moving forward. Um, but, but, as you'll see in this interview, you know, there are questions we all have for Stern Pinball and, and the questions around price and the questions around quality. And is the quality of the product matching the price of the product? And I think they're learning as they go uh, that they need to make sure those two things uh, are as closely aligned as possible. So, look, I don't want you to hear just Canada talk about this. I want to introduce a very special guest for episode 100 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I want to introduce a man who I believe is one of the greatest uh, individuals in the history of pinball. I had the the great, uh, just a great opportunity to, to share a, a, a taxi ride with this gentleman back from TPF last year. And I also had the great pleasure of my first pinball machine being one that he designed uh, and what, and that I still consider to be one of the greatest pinball machines of all time. And that's Mr. George Gomez. Uh, he is the special guest for episode 100 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. So I want to air that interview with George. I think you're going to hear a lot of interesting things. I don't want to spoil what you're going to hear. I think you'll enjoy it. And and that's it. And that's it. You're going to hear from the man himself who is who is really steering the world's biggest pinball manufacturer into the future. And he is, without a doubt, I think one of the people who has the greatest passion and enthusiasm for pinball. So let me shut up and let me roll the tape. Enjoy everyone. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast, uh, you know, for all this time. I really, I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest for episode number 100 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I know I've been teasing it, and no, it's not Brenda or Bubba. It is no other than George Gomez of Stern Pinball. George, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. And George, you're are you president of Stern? I want to make sure I get the title right. I'm uh, executive vice president of game development. That's my official title. All right. <clears throat> So you're like the you're kind of like the top dog over there, and what I'm really excited about is just to. Get I'm the I'm the top dog of product development. So uh, basically, all the company's product development efforts report up to me. All the game designers and hardware developers and mechanical engineers and everybody who makes games essentially is, and all of the games that we do are essentially my responsibility. Okay, so all roads lead to George over at Stern. Well. Um, not all the, the manufacturing <laughs> roads. The manufacturing roads have a different owner, and the um, you know the business roads, um, you know marketing and sales have a different owner, and uh, um, you know the uh, the sort of the strategy, the the the, the business strategy of the company um, is handled you know by 
somebody else. And so, you know, it's, so, you know, there's an executive team, if you will. So there's a, there's a bunch of guys that have equal, um, if not more responsibilities, uh, or equally important responsibilities that, that, um, you know, handle other areas of the company. Right. Well, let's, George, it's been a year since we shared a taxi back from Texas Pinball Festival, and a lot has happened over the last year. Uh, And I want to sort of pick your brain. I want to pick your brain about what's going on over at Stern. I want to pick your brain about what your thoughts are uh, with with what's developed in the industry over the last year, because I think everything that happens sort of impacts you guys in some way, shape, or form. So let's talk about right now. So current day... You guys are, are just shipping Aerosmith, right? Like the, the game's going out as we speak. Yeah, I mean we uh, we're building, we're still building Batman, we're still bu- building Aerosmith, we're still building Ghostbusters, um, and then you know there's uh, from time to time we 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 have other games that there's demand for, and you know we'll put them in the um, you know in the rotation. So I I believe you know there's I mean there's still um, you know, there's still demand for Metallica's and Walking Dead's, and um, I think we've, I think we're tapering off the Star Treks. If I recall, we might be, we might be done with those. Um, but um, you know, there's a lot of stuff back there. I mean, there's, you know, every once in a while, I'll go out there and I'll see, you know, uh, Wonellies or PBRs or, right. you know, so it's, it's it's um it's kind of you know Gary calls it the Chinese menu of games. <laughs> Um, How many games do you guys, in a given month, do you guys build in terms of Star Trek, Metallica? Is it five games? How many games can you guys... Different titles, different titles. It, it, it's all over the map um, because it, it basically has to do with um, not only filling demand, but also, uh, for example, um, we... A lot of times people want, you know, like, you know, I'm still waiting on my game. What's that about? Um, so we fill containers and we sell mixed containers of games. So if you are a customer in Europe and you're waiting for Metallica um, and because your distributor has ordered, you know, 15 Metallicas or something, that container will also contain, you know, will also have like, you know, it'll have Ghostbusters and Batman and a bunch of other games. And so until all of the, all of the product that's going into that container is ready, that container can't really ship. Okay. So, um, so, so one game uh, can answer, hold up a whole container if you have one game, one title potentially could hold up a container. Although we, you know, I mean the 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 logistics guys here are very very good um, uh, at kind of trying to make you know trying to optimize. It. We we want to optimize it because. You know, we don't get paid until, you know, the, the company doesn't make money until games go out the door. So it's in our best interest to get games out the door. Right, right. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about 2016. How was it, it, it was a little bit of like a mixed bag for you guys. So you had Ghostbusters, which was a, a home run title for you guys. What Was that one of the most successful games in terms of demand that you guys have experienced in, in, a, in a while? One of the most successful, but I mean, 2016 was an amazing year for us. Um, we had a great year, you know. We um, um, between Ghostbusters and Batman, you know, um, it was a strong year. Um, I think that um, Ghostbusters definitely will, you know, certainly if demand continues the way that it has, I think that it, you know, it will be 
one of the biggest games. Um, I mean, it have, at, at this particular moment in time, it could, it, you know, it could, I don't know where it's going to end. So, right. um, you know, it could be the biggest game we've ever done. I don't know yet. But um, we had a we had a very strong year. You know, we had I mean, we had um, there's a lot of demand for the product. We had some we also had some issues. You know, we had we had to deal with the playfield issues on on Ghostbusters. We had um, so we had some manufacturing challenges for sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, there's it, but it was overall it was I think it was a very positive year. I, I agree. And let's let's we. I have to talk about some of the issues and sort of how you sure. guys have sort of weathered um, the storm. So I think yeah. everyone's familiar with, with the play field issues. And I think some of it, you know, gets a little bit blown out of proportion, a little bit of ghosting here, or some dimples yeah. here, and everyone's going nuts. Over at Stern, when you guys hear people sort of react to certain things that might just be part of pinball, um, w what's the sentiment over there when people are going crazy because of a few dimples or they see a little bit of hairline um, ghosting? Right. So the, I mean, the dimp so the dimple thing, um, let's, you know, I, I don't know which one you want to talk about first. I'm perfectly willing to talk to you about either of them. Yeah, let's do, let's do both. Yeah, so that I mean the dimple. Th so, so the the Ghostbusters, uh, the, the ghosting thing was a real problem, and so um, the dimples thing, not so much. Right. But the, the Ghostbusters thing is a real problem, and I'll and I'll, and I'll explain to you why um, why those things are. So uh, the the ghosting thing, when when people start complaining, there's a problem. If the if we didn't see the problem in here in the factory when the game went into the box, we, we don't know what the problem is. You know, we don't know. And, and so we, it takes us some amount of time to, to look into it and try to figure out what, what's going on. You know, is this, mm -hmm. is it 50 games? Is it a hundred games? Is it two guys games? Is it, you know, is, um, what's causing it? Is it some environmental thing in the box between now here and the customer's house? Is it, um, is it a process issue? Um, is it a, is it some sort of uh, you know material decay issue? What you know what is it? What so we so we have to kind of do due diligence, right. and and that one was a tough one because it took us a while and to figure it out and eventually we figured it out and and you know we said okay all right I know what to do so we'll you know we fixed it and you know. Um, and then, you know, the sales guys have to come up, you know, had to come up with the sales and marketing guys had to come up with, um, a, um, uh, a method of, of replacing people's, uh, games and, and all of that stuff. Right. right so there's, right. there's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a complex thing, you know, I mean, it's not, uh, trivial. Right. And, it, and, it, and from what we saw unfold, it must've been hard because, You've got some people who are like, my playfield's fine, and some people are like, yeah. my game was fine for 200 plays, and then it occurred, right? right? So exactly. And and so right now, March 2017, you guys feel like all of those issues, you guys have sort of identified them, and when we shouldn't see much playfield issues moving forward. Now yeah, there's the always only, going to be a few. Like the the only thing that I can imagine is could could possibly happen in it. I mean, certainly anything that was built from the point that we understood what was happening to, you know, to, to now, you should be fine. Right. It, the only thing, but, and we tried to purge, you know, to the best of our knowledge, we purged material stocks, et cetera, et cetera. So anything that didn't, that was, anything that was risky, that, that was a potential issue, 
we just kind of said, okay, you know, let's let's find that stuff, let's get it out of there, let's get it out of the inventory, let's rework those play fields, or or just plain old throw them out, et cetera, et cetera. So, but we're not perfect. Some, somebody, you know, somebody could have put a play field in a rack. Right. You know, that's not unheard of. It's not, you know, um, so to the best of our knowledge, from the point that we figured out what was going on, you know, and and the fix was implemented you know, we're, we're, we're fine. Right. Do you guys feel like the, and I know it's hard when someone has an issue. Talk to us, George, about what you guys think is the best approach for people to let your company aware of the issue, because we see people like they'll run to the forum, right. And they're screaming yeah. fire and they'll wake the their distributor up yeah, at three in the so morning. So the problem with the forum is that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like disinformation and there's a lot of like, you know, uh, sort of uninformed opinions affecting what what people um, and it's it's normal of all forums you know I mean if you're any in in any kind of a hobby you can pick a hobby go to that go to their forum and go to their blogs and stuff and and you'll see something very similar happening it doesn't matter what hasn't you know doesn't have to be anything related to pinball machines and you'll see something similar it's it's the nature of those you know it's it's the nature of those environments um, I think the best thing is you contact your dealer, you contact Sten, uh, Stern Tech Service. Th those are the real, you know. It's if I have a problem with my car, I, I go see my car dealer. You know, I, I don't, um, and and that's and and then I and I trust that the dealer will help me resolve the problem. You know, sure. So I mean, that's that's really what has to. Ha I mean, that's really what you should do. I mean, you can do anything you want, but but that's really what you should do. That, like. You know, going online and getting a lot of bad information from people who don't really know is not that's that may not help you. That right. may you know and, and and not only that, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of negativity that exists in some of those environments and some people are gonna spin you up because it's fun to spin you up. And and you know, I mean we we try you know, we're a real company, we're here, we we're in this, you know, we're not fly by night, we're not um, we're not a garage shop. We, you know, we stand by our product. We have a history of standing by our product and, um, and, and we're not perfect. Good God. We, you know, we're, we're hardly perfect, but we have, there's a lot of moving parts here. You know, there's a lot of, um, and I, I don't, I'm not talking about, you know, physically real moving parts in a pinball machine. I'm talking about all of the elements of a business. Right. And so, um, so I think, I think that's, that's I think everyone really appreciates that response and I think too George there's there's just like always like a little bit of a it's hard to be patient right when these guys spend so much it money is. and their toy their toy arrives and something yeah, is, and is you not know what? And, and, and I I can totally relate you spent a lot of money for this thing and you know you want it to be you want it to be perfect I think you know you people have to be um, they have to be aware that especially new people to the hobby the processes and materials in a pinball machine, for the most part, were designed around um, the original business of pinball, which was coin-operated games. Mm -hmm. And no operator on the planet would uh, complain about, I would say, 80% of the complaints that we get about cosmetics, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't justify that, that, that 
the game should shouldn't be perfect. Again, we try very hard to make the game perfect. But what I'm saying is that when a guy calls you up and he says, I have a scratch on the underside of my cabinet, on the bottom of my cabinet, well, you know, that's that's something that you 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 have to ask yourself, wow, how significant is that for you? You want me to send you an entire game to replace Right. A game with a, you know, with a two inch scratch on the underside of your cabinet. And we don't even know if it happened here, if it happened in transit or it happened whenever, you know, that's, that's an extreme, right? That's, that's uh, to us, that's, that's, a ch- that's challenging. Right. And I think um, what, you know, I've, I've said many times on this podcast, uh, collecting pinball machines and trying to keep a pinball machine pristine and mint and perfect is kind of, uh, an impossible thing, considering what the thing is. It's a silver ball bouncing around. It's, it's like, you know, it's like a car, right? It's like you you can you can take it home, and and put it in your garage and never drive it, and it'll be as close to perfect as you can have it. But if you if you use it, if you drive it, if you play your pinball machine, your pinball machine will wear. Things will happen to your pinball machine. Um, most of them you can repair, most of them can be repaired. And, um, you know, they were, their, their games, they were designed to be played. I, I want, I, I, you know, my best hope would be that people are enjoying them and playing them and, and having a good time with them. That's really what they were designed to be and designed to do. Right. Um, and so I think that, uh, to get back to my point about the materials and processes that a pinball um, you know, that constitute a, a modern day pinball machine. Um, while you've seen advancements in a lot of technology, right? You know, the introduction of, of state of the art electronics and, and network systems and, and all kinds of other things. Um, there are many, many items that are still not much different than they were a long time ago. And if you wanted change in those items, the cost would make the pinball machine pretty much prohibitive. And so, and already we're fighting the issue of cost. You know, when everybody talks about, you know, the, 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 what, the, what, the, what the games cost, the challenge from our perspective is that we pay X for materials. And as a company, we have a philosophy that we have to, you know, we have to make X amount of money on every game in order to stay in business and run our business and grow our business. And, and that's where we operate from. You know, we're not, you know, we, I don't control the price of steel. I don't control the price of plastics. I don't control the price of a lot of the goods in the pinball machine that, that we, you know, that our vendors provide us. Right. And so, you know, we end up with a cost of goods and that cost of goods impacts everything. You know, it's like we, we track how long it takes to manufacture that pinball machine. And there's, there's, you know, there's variations, right? So it's like, this game has this many hours of labor. That game has a different amount of labor. And I know what my labor costs. And so I have to sort of take those things into account. Um, we all design, all of my design teams have, you know, they work to a bill of materials. And, and we always, there's always a point in time when the design team is over. And we look at the contents of the game and we, we do some analysis. We go, okay, how impactful is it if you know if if the design team takes these things out or modifies the game etc and you know what almost like 90% of the time 
we we gamble on the game. We basically say, you know what, that that thing would impact the game substantially. Leave it in. Leave it in. Mm-hmm. Um, are there times when something comes out? Yeah, you know, you, you got a redundant switch that's going to tell you when the ball was delivered someplace and it doesn't really impact the game that much. Well, that 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 might be a cost thing that gets costed out. Right. But it's the reality of business. You know, it's it's not different from designing computers or cars or or iPhones. You know, everybody, everyone who designs a product, um, a product that's as complex as a pinball machine in that. You know, it requires all of these as it is the, the you know, the, it requires all these different disciplines to contribute to the design of the pinball machine. So you can imagine that every discipline, every technical discipline that's that's involved in the design of the game is essentially looking at their piece of it and trying to optimize it, trying to increase performance, reduce cost, make it easy to build. And and at the end of the day, all of these things the the mantra around here is none of that matters if it's not fun right because we make we make a product that stands on that and that's why i want people to play them as opposed to look at them or polish them of course of course and i and i think um well you raised a, a few points and i want to address some of them george so First being, when you guys are designing a game, there's that moment where you're designing to a cost and some things have to stay and some things have to go. I have, I have to ask, are we going to see the proton beams as a, as a mod for Ghostbusters ever? I don't know. I mean, um, you know, it's the... the, 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 was, it the was it designed? Were they designed at some point? Yeah, they were. Sure. Don't you feel like you guys could charge like whatever and people would go in on those? I'm sorry, I didn't. I, I missed you there. What did like, you say? Do you feel like you guys like knowing there's like the game is so successful and there's such a user base um, that it would be fiscally, you guys would fiscally be able to get back and then some, like whatever the cost was, or is it just like you guys I, feel like the game's done, it's finished, and we're moving? No, on to it's the next... it's it's not a it's not that at all. It's a the the the, the it's. It's the fact that they don't add that much to the game, okay. And so That's it's a, it's it's a you know it's a it's like you weigh the you know you kind of weigh the okay this is a tremendous amount of effort and and a tremendous amount of cost all the way down the line you know even to the end customer, um, and then you know you're gonna you know to get to a point where wow I did all that and this is all it does right so. You know, I mean, that's it's really just that kind of a choice. It's not about anything else. I think that's a, a very good point. So it, it, you, you don't want people to spend two, three, four, five hundred dollars. They put it in, and then it's like this underwhelming experience, and, and then they're just like, "What the hell? I just paid that's this right. for two little lasers." Um, let's talk a little bit about price, because I think of the all the topics that people constantly talk about the price of a pinball machine. And I think you guys did a, you know, you, you articulated very nicely that you need to stay in business. George, when you look at where other manufacturers are pricing and where, do you, do you feel like certain people, when you watch them, it's just like, like, what do you do in pricing a game that low? I mean, for a boutique manufacturer out there, do, do you think people consider all the different elements that go into pinball? Because my opinion is that people price themselves into bankruptcy in this hobby. Other than Stern and Spooky, I feel like everyone else, they set the price before they know the bomb, before the game's designed. They don't factor in labor. All these things are are like 
sink in the ship before they can even take the ship out to the, to sea? You know, I'm I'm really not. Um, I don't know how they do it. I know how we do it. I don't know how they do it. Um, my guess is that if they don't, um, if they don't, you know, if they don't approach it um, from, you know, with a from from a solid uh, foundation in, in terms of business strategy, I think you know you get what you get. You know, you're kind of like if if, if you want to fly by the seat of your pants, great, but. I don't, I don't know how well that works. I know that, you know, all of the companies that I keep, go, I keep, I keep referencing other kinds of businesses, and you know, I mean, those guys are doing exactly what we're doing. Right. You know, that there's a reason that the thing, you know, the commodities that you buy, the consumer products that you buy, um, there's a reason that all of that stuff costs what it costs. There's a reason that a McDonald's quarter pounder costs what it costs. There's a reason that, you know, um, a can of pop costs what it costs. I mean, it's, it's, it, those, those companies didn't make up that, those, that pricing. Right. Um, you know, it all goes back to what does it cost me to make it and what do I need to, you know, what are the numbers, what are the profit margins that I require in order to make my business successful and grow my business and, and, you know, fund my business. Sure. Let me, let's talk about another interesting way to look at, at, at cost, George, and that's sort of like price versus quality, which is another conversation a lot of people have. And I think this, um, this year in particular with, with Batman and the Super LE, we're going to talk about the Super LE a little bit. Um, sure. There's definitely, you guys have sort of dipped your toes into the high-end collector market. Talk to us a little bit about how you guys came to that decision to explore um, what what is like the most expensive stern of all time and that high-end collector market. Well, I think so. Um, you know, that I, I talked about this before on um, one of the other interviews that I did or one of the other podcasts that honestly the entire thing began life as um, that the, the Super Alley did not begin life as a, you know, how much can we charge for a pinball machine? It, it began life as, hey, wouldn't it be cool to do this thing? It's, it's truly a celebration of the 30 years of Stern. This is a great license to tie it into because, you know, it has it has all of this stuff that lends itself to it. Um, and so we sat down to design the game and we, and we said, you know, some number of, you know, that the, the original number was like 30, you know, like you were going to do 30 anniversary uh, editions and we're, you know, and and uh, be just by the nature of the fact that they're so limited, um, you know, we're going to charge some more. And and that some more is is not only going to like all of the special stuff that's going to go into into a run of 30 has to be amortized across that run of 30. So when I order, uh, you know, 30 special you know, fancy decal sets that I'm not amortizing across the entire run of Batman. Um, I got to pay for them somehow. So right. initially, so in all, all of a sudden, no question, the game's going to cost more money. You know, just because, and and that this is not, again, not you know. Uh, I mean, it's the reason, you know, it's the reason a Ferrari costs what a Ferrari costs because they they don't make a hundred thousand of those things. They make ten thousand. So. You know, and yet they're and yet they're buying the same commodities that that you know 
uh, Ford buys when they, you know, when they make a focus, right. In, in terms right. of, you know, except folks, you know, Ford is selling exponentially more cars. So it, you know, there are economies of scale related to some of those things. Economies of scale don't translate to everything, but they translate to some things. And so, um, that's where it began. So the 30 became, you know, all of a sudden the 30 was instantly oversubscribed. So it was like, we had more sort of, um, um, Hardcore. Way more demand, way more demand than supply when yeah, we announced we had, it. We had way more, it, and it surprised us. It actually surprised us. We never imagined, you know, that, you know, people would would be that enthused about it. So, um, so we increased the number, and which is something we seldom do, by the way. I mean, like like on limited editions, we take a good guess, and a lot of times, we you know we leave money on the table, and other times we don't, you know, and and so. I think that, um, I mean, that's really how that whole thing came about, regardless of what anybody else wants to imagine or, you know, there's always some, you know, there's always somebody with a, uh, um, you know, some theory. <laughs> some, right. Well, know. I think it's it's an interesting, like, it, it definitely, when you guys denounced it, it sort of, sort of evoked a lot of opinions from people and i have a few friends who own batman SLEs, and i'll say this i think everyone who bought one is really happy i think a lot of people on the sidelines who didn't get one have been more critical of the offering um but it was successful for you guys i mean look i think you could people could look at it and say for that much money there might have been you know, maybe should be like more expensive toys or, or, or a mech that doesn't exist in the other ones but I think it was a good learning experience for you guys and did it show you guys from a marketing perspective George that man there's just like there that might not even be the ceiling and there is a large group of high-end collectors that would um, go in on another SLE down the road now do you guys plan on making more SLEs at some point we we will do more SLEs. We we don't know exactly what titles would lend themselves to SLEs, and and that has a lot to do with it. And we also we're also sensitive to the market. You know, I mean, it's like we we we're not going to do it at a time when we think that there isn't a market for it. So we're we're gonna do them from time to time. Right. And you know, I mean, did we learn something? Absolutely, we learned a lot. Um, and you know, you talk about the the thing about these products is that if you know i don't like i i aspire to a lot of things that i can't afford but i don't get upset when i can't buy them right you know i mean it's like i you know i i really want a porsche gt3 but you know the prices are going through the roof they're beyond my reach and so i can't afford it i can't have a porsche gt3 but i you know but i i don't have any issues with a guy that does you right. know that can't afford it i don't have a you know i don't have a problem if he buys it right <laughs> so um, yeah i mean like it's a classic internet trolling that goes on around some of the, those items and and it does like bring out a little bit of jealousy in people so george i mean we're, we're looking at the future a little bit and SLEs and there's this like game called Star Wars. It's just rumored and rumored and rumored. I know you won't say much, um, yeah. but as a guy who works in marketing and I've said this on the show many times, you guys must be looking at this like a Darth Vader edition. The sky's the limit. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, you know, you know, I, I, I'm telling you that I think that we, we are sensitive to 
the market as a whole. And so just because, you know, it, it would be this license or that license, that's not necessarily going to swing it. You right. know what I mean? Right. So because there's 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 a lot of things in play. There's not just, you know, there's there's just not uh, there, it's not just oh it's a great license. You know what I mean? Right. Well, well what else is it? I mean, I, I, I just say because like on some level, right? You've got these guys. Right. They're high end collectors. Well, I would say they- some of it is some of it has to do with you know that that market that you you know that you're talking about also has limitations. And so it's a question of, you know, when when is that market willing? And by the way, some percentage of the people that that bought those Batman SLEs are people who have a relationship and and a long term relationship with the company people, because originally it was offered only to those kinds of people. It was only offered to people that had history with the company that we thought could afford it, that we thought would want it, would, you know, as a as a sort of a participation in that 30 year celebration, et cetera. So I don't, you know, I don't know that that market, if, if we did, you know, I mean, we try to have like every year we try to have blockbuster licenses and, you know, sometimes we get them right. Sometimes we don't. But, um, I think that, you know, you can't, you can't be bringing those things to market constantly. Right. Because I don't believe there's a market for that. Right. Well, and also like it, it, it loses its specialness if the cadence is too frequent, right? So I think you guys are probably mapping it out where you really want these things to be uh, every once in a blue moon, a super early comes out. But when it does, it's the right time. It's the right marketplace for it. And it's the right theme. So I know people are excited to see what's next in the super early world. Um, I, some exciting news for you guys recently is this new sort of non-reflective glass, which I think I saw that news. And for a guy who's modded all of my machines, I've always said the two best mods are new glass and, and color displays, which you guys don't have to worry about now. So talk, talk to us, George, about getting this new non-reflective glass. Cause I think everyone who orders a Stern moving forward is going to want to have this in their machine. Right. So it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously a thing that, um, it goes way back. It actually, um, no one knows this, but it actually precedes the it, the Invisiglass around here because the guy who the guy who um, provides Invisiglass was one of our key vendors. As a matter of fact, we used to buy all our glass from him. So a long time ago, he came to us with that, and the and the biggest challenge was simply, wow, it's going to add that much more to the cost of the pinball. And it, right. and in, in those days, we didn't have much of an accessory business. So we never thought of it as something that, you know, we could sell as an accessory. Um, and, and we also thought that, you know, hey, people are they're doing their darndest just to afford the pinball. And now you're going to, you know, you're going to raise the price of the pinball by this much. So we just didn't, we didn't, you know, so we let it lie. We, um, you know, we looked at it, we tested it. Um, this particular, you know, this particular product that we you know that we ended up selecting is has got some other cool things that um you know made it even more enticing and so um yeah i mean it's 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 we are we are uh committed to the accessory business and we feel like you know there's a there's actually you're going to see a lot more stuff you know coming in the way of you know um the kinds of accessories the things that we're that we um, that we focus on 
in that right. business because I think there's a market for it. And I think we can do it. You know, I think we can create accessories for our products better than anyone else. Right. It's it's um, we guarantee, you know, they'll fit and work and they won't blow up your game. And, you know, they're 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 going to essentially plug and play in every way. Right. Um, Let and, me, George, let me ask you a question. So with the with the new glass, uh, is that going to come standard in LEs moving forward or is it going to be an additional option that people can have when they order? At this point, I don't know how we're going to handle it. Um, it's definitely in the accessory program, and we're not sure. We're going to watch what happens there, and then and then we'll make some decision. No matter what you you know, it's 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 not going to be free. So if you know if you add it to the price of a of a, of, a, of a game currently, it is going to affect the price. And so and 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 already we have, you know, we have some challenges there, and and you know. So it, we're going to watch it and see. Do you think um, in the future, George, we'll see? And I, I know it sounds like you're a car guy, which I like. I'm a car guy too. And what I love about when you spec out a car, you can go down the options list. And right now with the pinball machine, there you can order like an LE, a premium, a pro, but you can't really spec it out. Like if I want mirror blades, if I want this non-reflective glass, if I want you know this color flipper buttons, do you think we're going to get to a point where for an extra cost – you can load it up with the mods, with the, all the dressings you want, and get it from the factory with all the bells and whistles so you don't have to do that yourself. It's not out of the question. It is not out of the question. There's been a lot of conversation around here about different ways of doing that. And so I'll tell you that it's, it's absolutely not out of the question. Um, but there's still a lot of, you know, there's, there, are, there are definitely some challenges associated with that so um yeah that's okay. what i can tell you does it slow it, i'm assuming it slows the line down too when you start getting to the world of customization it it does um you know it's the reason that if you you know and and um i think the car guys are are very much um uh, a good analogy right because they and they've they've gone full circle right it used to be that um, back in the 60s, you could, you know, um, you had such an incredible range of available options available for cars that that theoretically you could, you know, I mean, your your car could almost truly be unique to you or to uh, to you and right. depending on, you know, if you wanted to spend the money to do it. And then we went then we went around when with the Japanese um, uh, thrust into quality control. In the you know in the in the late seventies early eighties um, you know they found and that that minimizing those choices act you know made you know it it optimized manufacturing operations it optimized quality because you didn't have to be worrying about all those different um, uh, components and right. you didn't have to be tracking all of that stuff and so um, so for a while there we went in the other direction and 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 products. You know, products got um, more streamlined. You know, you, you know, only a couple of interior colors. Everything came with power windows. Everything came with air conditioning. Um, and and now we're seeing uh, a move in the other direction. And you know, it's something that's it's definitely, but it it you know it it presents uh, manufacturing challenges, material control challenges, um, pricing challenges. Um, uh, even distribution challenges because, you know, you have to have, 
you know, you have to have a way for the customer to order it and for the order to be verified and the order to be scheduled into manufacturing. And, and, right. and by the way, that's what happens when you order a car, right? As opposed to walking into a showroom and buying what they've got. So you guys need like an AMG division, right? You need to yeah, like, you need to yeah. have this like skunk work specialty and, guys and, who take the machines and, you know and do it by hand. Yep. And we've talked and, and there's, we've talked a lot about stuff like that because there's, there's precedent in the guitar business. There's precedent in the car business. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, um, there is something to that. And so, yep, that might happen. Very cool. Well, George, let's talk about the transition from DMD to LCD, which I know was a big transition for you guys and, and one that pinball fans were, were waiting a long time for. Um, we saw it first on Batman, and I must say it, it looks amazing. Uh, I, I think the implementation, the size of it, everything has been sort of universally applauded as, as, as sort of like a great step into the future. And I, I know you guys have always said, and I, I agree and most people agree, the game is beneath the glass um how how difficult was it to transition to the lcd is there more coding involved was it a big sort of hurdle for you guys to get over and, and enter into the lcd error right so um so i drove a lot of you know i drove the display size i was adamant that it had to be serviceable i was adamant that back glasses had to remain um and, and, you know, you remember I, I spent quite a bit of my professional career, um, you know, doing um, console video games. And, I, and I'm, I'm keenly aware of what it takes to generate the level of content that would be required because it's not just about designing hardware that will support and drive the LCD. And it's certainly not about the challenges of mounting the LCD. Um, in spite of the fact that there were challenges involved. Um, it's really about content generation. And I, I was adamant that we had to do this on our terms. And doing it on our terms means, yes, you waited longer because we wanted to sort these things out and we needed to be able to support the content in the games. And not only that, there's, a, there's, a, there's an incredible challenge with the fact that with the license comes either a, a tremendous amount of assets, as in the case of Batman, or no assets, as in the case of Aerosmith. Right. And, and my development teams have to be able to exist in both environments. I, you know, when I, have a, when I have a wealth of material, fantastic. But when I don't have a wealth of materials, it's not like my development cycle is going to grow six months to generate that material. So I still have to have a strategy for dealing with a product that comes with no content, right? Mm -hmm. a, a product that I have to generate all the content for. I still need to have a strategy because the development cycle for that game is not going to be radically different from the development cycle of a game that has a ton of assets. And the reason for that is the fact that, you know, we do three cornerstones a year. And, and the teams operate in a staggered fashion in order to deliver those three cornerstones. And the teams uh, approximately have the same number of resources supporting them. And right. so that's, you know, that's the reality of it. Have you guys had to hire new people to do the programming on the LC? So like Aerosmith, for example, has, you know, it's all 
it's all generated by you guys with the animations and the characters. Yeah, we have, I mean, we have an entire, you know, computer graphics team now that we didn't used to have. Um, it's, it's, um, it's an evolution of, I mean, it's, it's, it's like taking the old dot matrix team and growing it some with guys that have, um, you know, uh, a different skill set. Is Aerosmith, is, is it a cornerstone game for you guys in 2017? It is. Yes. Okay. So there's two more to come. Uh, you mean like, a, a, a yes, there are two more, two more titles in 2017. Yes. Yes, there are. Okay. Is one Star Wars? You're not going to tell me. No one's ever going to try to get it out of you, George. <laughs> uh, I just, I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting on that one with with all my money. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about Vault Editions because I think that George, you must feel great. You have you yourself have two of the top two games in the top five games of all time you have two of them monster bash and lord of the rings um stern has 31 out of the top 100 games of all time um and we hear titles like tron and lord of the rings and potential vaulting of these sort of classics um are you guys still thinking about doing vault editions moving forward yep absolutely vault editions are a part of our life and um and and we are going to do them. And and one of the things that we do is is decide, you know, what titles and when we're going to do them. And but for sure, there are vaults coming. And of course, those vaults, um, you know, those titles that you mentioned are are um, you know they're prime for um, vault editions. So right. yeah, for sure. And I mean, I I love vault editions. I mean, I think it's you know it in 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 a lot of cases the vaults. In the case of like you know, I mean, I was very happy with the way the Spider-Man Vault came out, and and the 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 cool thing about a vault is you know I've said this before that it, when we do a game that we've watched in the field for some amount of time, you know whatever it was on Spider-Man, it might have been eight years or something. I don't know what what it was, but um, you know we learned a lot, right? So the very first thing I did was um, I went to talk to the tech service guys and I said, okay, what broke on this thing? Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, you know, well, the, the, the you know, the, the, the play has got holes from the magnet and the, you know, the, the web slinger plastics broke and, uh, you know, this ball trap over here, et cetera. So the, the beauty of that Spider-Man vault is that a lot of that stuff got fixed. Right. Um, you know, Sandman plastic always, always breaking. Okay. Now it's a piece of stainless steel. And so, so all of those, all of those, um, um, all those things got, got tweaked. Um, you know, the addition of LEDs, the, I mean, just a lot of cool things. Right. So it, I, I think ends- Spider-Man looked amazing. I mean, cause to me, Spider-Man went even beyond the vault, right? When you guys vaulted Iron Man, it was sort of like you recreate the same exact game for the most part. Um, but right. Spider-Man, Spider-Man like with, enhanced, with you enhanced it. Yeah. With Spider-Man, we, um, we had to move in that direction because, uh, there were some licensing limitations, that prevented us from just doing what was done in, in, um, 08, you know, okay. it, it had to be, you know, it, it had to be a different Spider-Man. So we picked, you know, we, we purposely are, we're, you know, we have a great relationship with Marvel. Those guys love us and we love them. And, um, they, you know, they helped us say, and, you know, they helped us decide, you know, which Spider-Man they, they, you know, they said, basically it came to us and they said, well, you can look at all these Spider-Man um, versions, but this is the most popular of all time. And so I said, okay, all right, we'll, we'll go in that direction. And so 
um, you know, we that's how we ended up where we were, where where we did. George, for future vaults, because Spider-Man, the vault was successful. I think the people loved sort of the enhancements that were made. Um, could we possibly see similar type enhancements to some of the classic titles that we just threw out where you, know, you guys are looking at the game yep. over, over the years and let's make this maybe toy a little nicer. Let's make this section yep. a little bit awesome. Guaranteed. So I guess the question then, I guess I had two more questions about vaults. So one is, is it possible to sort of implement the LCD into a vault? It's possible. Um, you know, it, 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 it's going to require more work, uh, substantially more work. And, you know, we have to, like, we, you know, we'd end up having to port the code to Spike 2, and then we'd have to generate that content. Um, and so it's, it's a substantial, you know, it's a substantial amount of work. So it, so that kind of, those kinds of things would be done the the whether we chose to do that work or not would really be dependent on the on the um you know what we could do with the title and right. and there's also licensing you know there's licensing constraints too i mean the the some of those deals are would have to be redone right. and in order for us to do some of those kinds of things well, if you make an LCD Lord of the Rings, I, I know that the licensing would be an issue with all the actors and everything. Um, yep. Super LE that bad boy and knock on my door and I'll just <laughs> hand you all my money. But um, <laughs> let's let's talk about the last year in pinball because I, I think it has been a great year for Stern and I think Stern continues to be the one manufacturer that you, you do it right. You design a game, you price it you announce it and then it's in people's homes within two months i mean that that is the model by which is is the gold standard in pinball as you look at the rest of the industry and you see you know other companies struggling to sort of release games in a timely manner the whole pre-order model what are your thoughts on just what's happened over the last year just from a from a general standpoint of of do you guys feel like you have competition and do you feel like when other companies sort of hold people's money hostage and they don't get their games and that money sort of evaporates in the marketplace does it hurt you guys or are you guys sort of immune to that I think it hurts um, I think it hurts everybody because that's money that's gone away from the business that's money that could have bought anybody's game and it's now it's gone it's evaporated completely so I think that hurts everybody um, I think that, you know, we we have. I think the last time we I looked at it, we have like 92% of the pinball market. So when you have 92% of some market, you um, uh, you know, competition is a it, that's a relative word. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, um, is it competition? I guess you could say it is, but we have 92% of the market. We we. We try very hard to, you know, we, we try very hard to be great. We don't always, um, you know, we don't always achieve it, but we swing for the fences. You can, I mean, you know what? I, I got here in 2011. I've, I'm very proud of what's happened to Stern Pinball in that time. I think I've, I've tried very hard to affect it. I've tried very, very, very hard to bring up the quality of the games, to give the design teams the freedom they need to do what they do. Um, to fight for um, higher quality, higher technologies, um, and just you know, 
I, I work I work with every aspect of the business. I work with the sales and marketing guys on how things are presented. I work with the manufacturing guys to to try to build great stuff. I unfortunately have to focus on problems when the problems arise. I have, uh, you know, but I mean, I you know, I, I I drove the creation of Spike Two and Spike and Spike One and and a lot of the little tiny little simple things, you know, the magnet that won't wear out your play field. Um, mm-hmm. All those kinds of things. I mean, and, you know, but I'm also dealing, you know, I'm also dealing right now with a bunch of people that, uh, they, you know, they're they're worried about dimples on their play fields. Well, all play fields have dimples. The, the biggest, the biggest, you cannot play pinball, you know, because look, it's 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 really simple. Um, a piece of steel is a lot harder than a piece of wood. And the right. softer material, the softer material will always yield. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what the environment is. The softer material will always yield. Right. And, and um, every game I have at home, all my, all my 90s games, you know, my Monster Bash. My Monster Bash has dimples. It's got a lot of them because I play it a lot. Are, why are the dimples more visible to people today? I'll tell you why. Because the hard coats are, which are really, as, 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 as we know, they're really flex coats. They're not really hard coats. If they were hard, they would be brittle and they would crack. But right. they're, designed, they're designed to be soft. They, they're designed to protect the wood from erosion by the ball. That's really what they do. But the thicker we put them on to make games shiny and look beautiful, the more that all of that all that specularity that happens on the surface that's going to show off all those dents and that's really all that's going on the hard coat is the same hard coat we've always used but we're using it on we're putting it on a lot thicker yeah i mean conversation you know there's a lot of conversation around here about you know maybe we should go back to not putting it on so thick because then then people would be less concerned about the dimples on their play fields the the you know what our we we run we life test everything and and when we break when something breaks it's not because we didn't life test it it's because we designed the wrong life test it's because we screwed up when we designed the life test that tested the thing it's not because we didn't test it so i have 24 7 life tests on play fields where the ball gets fired onto the play field at high speed the ball gets dropped on the play field the ball Everything we can possibly imagine to do with a playfield that reflects what the th- kinds of things that happen at Pinball Machine, we have those tests run, and we run them. I mean, I'll show you playfields that are black from the steel that that's collected on throughout the course of the test. And the one thing those tests show is that that hard coat holds up. Mm-hmm. That hard coat will protect the wood on your playfield. The 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 Look at the magnets on our, you know, the, the new magnet that, that, that we invented with the, with the stainless steel ring, the surround around the magnet. That magnet is designed so that when the ball oscillates across the magnet, when, when we do things with the ball, it doesn't wear off the edge of the playfield. Go look at the old playfields where you have a magnet poking, a magnet pour core poking through the wood. The, the wood erodes because every time the ball crosses wood and steel, it essentially wears away the wood. Oh, yeah. And on the new one, you know, I mean, it's like, go ahead, do whatever you can. You're not wearing away the wood. You're, right. you're just not going to do it. Um, I was I was watching a video of, of Dialed In, um, and there's a magnet on the right side that is just eating through the wood on, like, three test games. Right. That's the problem that we used to have. 
Um, that's a problem that we had, used to have until we came up with that new that new system. Um, by the way, we have a patent on that new system because right. it works. You know, I mean, and and then the U.S. Patent Office thought, yeah, that's a great idea. You know what's funny, so, George? Is I saw <laughs> this is like. You, you, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I, I saw too on Pinside someone put a picture of a Batman magnet and it had a, a couple dimples on it. And it just oh, it's like, got a lot. It's going to have a lot. But that, you know, that also speaks to the issue of that. That that also speaks to the issue of the dimples. If the Batman the the so the way the Batman magnet is made, the the center core, you know, the center core. That's that's iron because it has to be in order to have the magnetic properties that it has, right? Mm -hmm. And the surround is stainless steel. So if if the ball is going to dent that piece of steel, it is going to dent the wood. I mean, it's that simple. And and the other things that happen is that everybody people don't realize the geometry of a playfield, the the position of the targets, the position of the ramps, the position of the ramp entrances, the posts, all of that stuff will determine where and how that playfield wears. That, more than anything, the geometry of the playfield impacts the wear of the playfield more than any other single thing. And if you look at Batman, if anybody notices, the, the ramp crosses directly over the magnet. Do you know why the ramp crosses directly over the magnet? Because that's when the when the ball hits the forward edge of the of the, of the turntable, it can come back and leap up. And and if I didn't have the ramp going right over, that ball would be flying wild. So the ramp is actually acting to contain the ball. And what happens when the ramp contains the ball is that the ball comes crashing back down onto the magnet surface. Nothing's going to happen to the magnet surface. I mean, that magnet, you can you can. And, you know, you can you can worry about it. Nothing's going to happen to it. The day right. that it does, it's like the brakes on your car. Order a new core and put it in, and you're you're back up and running. But you haven't changed. Uh, you, you haven't had to completely swap out a playfield, which is a really difficult and hard thing to do. So, I mean, people can worry about it. They can complain. But the reality is that that thing's going to last for a long time. Right. Well, I, th I think George, it's a, that's a great explanation, and and I think you know what happens is is people put up photos and they don't get explanations like that. They don't they don't really understand even like the physics of what's going right. on. But but some do, and I think it's it's easier for people just to panic than it is for them to just learn. And there are people who who understand that dimples and these things they've been part of pinball since pinball existed. And I have a in my Tales of the Arabian Nights. I have a CPR Gold Playfield, which is it's like a thousand dollars, like super high end playfield, dimples everywhere, <laughs> you know. So and it looks like glass. So I, I think people. Yeah, I mean, I don't, You know, I I'm gonna um when when the run is all done, I'm gonna own a Batman, right? Um, I gotta tell you, I'm not worried about my Batman. I have Batmans here. Uh, the Batman that that Lyman works on, which is right down the hall from me, um, is probably got more play than any Batman in the world because that's a Batman that we've been playing long before we released the game, and we play it every day. And all kinds of different people around here play it. Uh, we also have one in the Stern Arcade, which has got a ton of play, and that one that one is even more interesting because that one uh, is a uh, prototype play field that doesn't have like tons of hard code on it and it's still holding up 
And, and so I'm not, I am absolutely not worried about that. Um, and, right. and I don't think, I mean, I, I, I honestly, people can do whatever they choose to do, but, but, um, I don't think anyone, you know, should worry about that. I mean, it's like, if you're, if a lot of guys that are worried about that kind of stuff are guys that are interested in flipping the game and, and I don't even know what to tell them because I, I, I think, I think, well, you know, you bought it to flip it, then don't play it. Just keep it pristine. Right. Um, you know, uh, I don't think it's. I, I honestly don't think it's. It, it affects the play of the game at all. So. No, and I don't think there's been that many. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a, a vocal minority, but I think for the most part, there hasn't been a lot of um, concern about the the Batman playfield condition. And 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 Pinside, you know, is just a, a tiny, tiny fraction of people who are getting games and enjoying games and, 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 and having fun with the pinball. You, you brought up Lyman. I, I got to talk a little bit about the code on Batman because I know you guys wanted yep. to get it out to align with the anniversaries. Um, when, when can we expect maybe the next code update? I know you don't want right. to put dates out there specifically. but Yeah, no, no, no. We've been um, – so we announced right from the get-go. Um, and uh, let me talk about that for a second. So sure. we – we there was a tremendous amount of work that we had to do um, on the infrastructure side of a game like Batman in terms of the LCD, the tool chain that allows us to put uh, video in the game. Um, there was, in other words, there's there was a lot of work on things that aren't the gameplay, um, and so. You know, he spent an awful lot of time on that stuff, which is why we were, you know, at whatever it is that we shipped with dot six one code or something, you know, and and did we want it to be further along? Sure, we did. But um, to that point, we said, you know what, we're going to try to do code releases almost every two weeks. And, and we've pretty much stuck to it. We, we were going to do a release yesterday, which we didn't get out because we don't have enough. We also test these releases, believe it or not. And. Um, we didn't have enough testing on it. And so we said, okay, you know, so it'll probably go up Monday or Tuesday of this coming week. Um, so we've been trying to stick to the every two weeks and we're going to, we're going to be on that cycle until we're, you know, we're done. And, and that way, and I have, I've been uh, very vocal about it. I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've said, I've said it to numerous owners. I've said it publicly. Um, and like, um, you know, I haven't made any any. Um, I have not. Uh, I've told people, hey, you know, we're trying to do them every two weeks, and right. we're we're pretty much sticking to it. Cool, and 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 it, you know, look, Lyman is sort of like a god in the coding world for people. So I think everyone is confident that it it, it will get done, and the game will be great. Um, how many games does does someone like Lyman work on at, at the same time? One. <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially Lyman, <laughs> right? Uh, one, one. Um, he likes to focus, and you know that's that's all he works on. Um, he might be work, you know, like sometimes he has to, sometimes he has to work on things related to that game. Like I mentioned, you know, I mentioned some of the LCD work that you know some of the work that we had to do to get get Batman on the LCD and all. And so, you know, he did some of that work, but it was, it was, you know, it was, it was game, it was work that everyone will leverage, but that, um, it was on the debut, you know, on the debut game, which was his game. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I mean, he's, he's, he's focused on it. Um, George, let me ask you like, so just some 
random question. So if you had to buy another manufacturer's game that's out there or it was coming out soon, which one excites you the most? Um, well, I don't know about manufacturers, but I'll tell you what I just saw. I, I, I just, I watched, I just watched the dead flip, um, uh, total annihilation, um, right. game. And, uh, you know, I love that thing. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it at Texas pinball and getting my hands on it and seeing what, it, you know, um, the but, light, uh, the light show and the music on that is just incredible. I just, I love it. I think, I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know why, but it reminds me a little bit of games like um, Flight 2000, you know? Right. So you, you talk a lot about, like, fun being the number one ingredient, and and I agree. And and this is coming from someone who, who paid, uh, it's public, $23,000 for a magic girl. <laughs> and so oh. as I look at it to my left right now, and it doesn't really play, what are your thoughts? You must have been following john's journey to magic girl i mean he announced it in 2011 when you took the reins at stern were you surprised at all when you saw it ship and it was it was still just sort of like a, a blinking box of lights um i was very surprised um i was very surprised and you know for a variety of uh, reasons um i don't think that's um I think the path he chose is not exactly what I would have done if it, you know, I think his original goal was, I don't know, was 20 games or something. It I was forget. 16. Then he knocked it up to games. 19. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, I think what's funny is I, I think I would have done something completely different. I would have, I would have bought, you know, like I would have picked some game as a platform. I would have said, okay, that's whatever, some WPC 95 or something that, could have acted as a platform and I would have started there. Um, I would have stripped it out and I would have created a new play field. I would have cleaned everything up and, but I would have had a right away. I would have had a running start at creating 15 of something. I would have, you know, 50, I don't, I don't care what they would be. You know, it's like, give me, you know, 15 identical Terminator twos, you know, they're all worn out and beat up and I can, I, I can, you know, I can strip those cabinets down, refurbish them, um, and, but already I'm not creating, you know, that's, that's another thing I'm not creating and, and I can focus on creating the things that matter, which are, you know, the game and the play field. Um, right. and so I would not have focused on, you know, I mean, I, I would have grabbed somebody's electronic system. I would have, you know, tried to find, um, the other thing is that I, I would have started with, I think I would have started with, um, you know, all of the known disciplines that I needed, I would have said, you know, I need a friend who's a, or I need someone, a partner who's uh, a software engineer. And I would, and I needed a partner who's a mechanical engineer. And I need a partner who's an art guy. And I, I mean, I would have put a team together and, right. and not sort of, you know, haphazardly randomly gone about, you know, I don't know. I, I, I mean, this is, this is my perspective. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, I think I think. I know it's like you know, John. John's a friend. I mean, I, I, and I, I was sorry to see that whole thing, you know, blow up and go the way it did. I, um, you know, I, I'll tell you what. I, I honestly sometimes I don't know how he arrived at his decisions. But we both worked at Williams Electronics. We both had design teams, and you know, you have to respect and realize that. 
Um, we, we live in a society where the game designer is the, everybody loves the, the notion of this, you know, the, the designer hero. But the reality is that all of my games, every single game I've ever made have, has been contributed to by a team of incredibly talented, passionate, dedicated people. And I can't take anything away from those people. I could not do this by myself. Right. I could not have done any of those games. Um, without all of those people around me to support and help and contribute ideas and talent and effort um, and sweat and blood and tears. I mean, that, that, that's the reality. That's, so I think, I don't know, you know, I, I think he was out to lunch the day he decided he was doing this by himself without, right. without, you know, with, without being surrounded by all of those people. But right. I don't know because I wasn't there, and I don't know what the story is. I can only speculate. But well, I, we, we know that pinball is not singles tennis, right? And I think that's been proven time and time again. And I think where I feel bad for John is, is just the last year because I think he realized when American Pinball sort of came on board and gave him an entire another year to get the game together, at that point he didn't ask for the right help. And that's where I was just like, man – you really don't see the forest through the trees then if you still think you can just figure it out tinkering by yourself. But he found someone that you guys have sort of harnessed the incredible talents of Jeremy Packer. And Jeremy's a friend, and I'm glad that he's landed on your shore because I think that he's excited. I think Ghostbusters, part, you know, part of the success is what he, he, he created with you guys. Uh, how excited are you to have sort of adopted his talents for Stern. Oh my god, he's you know, he's he's a huge talent. Um he's great great guy to work with, easy to work with. Um we have a lot of fun with him. He was just in here yesterday. Um he's working on another project and I mean he's just I um, mean tremendous tremendous talent. We we um you know, we we have been trying very hard to cultivate um I I believe in I believe that the games are a reflection of the team's personality, not just the designer. And so we've been cultivating um, a lot of creative talent around here so that we get interesting mixes, interesting mashups of, of guys. And, um, you know, um, you know, Keith Elwin started this week, you know, um, sits, you know, right outside my office. I'm, I'm loving working with him, trying to, you know, teach him and getting getting him started, and I love his energy. And I mean, so I'm trying very hard to create. Um, and and the reality is, you know, I'm an old guy, and 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 a lot of my designers are old guys, and and I'm I I want to grow a new generation of of guys that are going to do amazing stuff that hopefully we'll be talking about, like we talk about a monster bash today, you know, ten years from now. So I mean, it's it's. That's, but that's, you know, that's, I mean, that's part of my job, right? That's, that's, yep. that's the, the future of product development at Stern Pinball. And, and that's some, some amount of my energy goes towards imagining what that, you know, what that needs to be. I know the, the Elwin fans would, would kick me if I didn't ask if Archer Pinball was a, a potential. Um, well, um, it's probably not going to be Archer Pinball, but, you know, it'll be something. <laughs> <laughs> when, George uh, – so you're going to be at TPF in, in a yeah. few weeks. Okay. I am, yes. 
I will be there as well. I'm excited. To, it's, I think it's going to be a big show. I think TPF is sort of, and, and Ed's a good friend, and it's it's sort of positioning itself as, you know, one of the biggest shows. And I think a lot of manufacturers are starting to realize, like, you know, this is a show to announce things, reveal things, show things, because the audience and the awareness that comes from that show is, is, is I think, even bigger than Expo now. Um, when When can we expect Ballpark? the next stern announcement is it like a few months away is it well so i can tell you that uh first of all i can tell you that's not my department (laughs) (laughs) um um so i'm not sure um i really don't know when they're gonna you know what what they're gonna announce um and or when um but i i completely agree with you that texas um, Ed and Kim do a fantastic job and, and, you know, that, that's a great show and it's, and it's a lot of fun. Um, uh, and, you know, we will be there, we'll have presence. And, um, um, I think, I think, uh, a lot of my guys are gone. So. Very uh, cool. George, how excited, I mean, you, you get to peek behind every door at Stern and you know what's going on for the next few years. How excited are you by what you see with like what's coming on down the road? I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited. There's, there's a lot of fun stuff and there's a lot of stuff. Um, I think a lot of the young guys, uh, that are driving some of the new product, um, you know, have a tremendous amount of, of energy and enthusiasm and I new ideas and, uh, you know, I love that. I mean, I think that's um, uh, Tanya Kleiss working on, you know, he's he's going to be um, he's leading um, the software efforts on a game right now. And the game's looking amazing. And, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff happening that, um, yeah, I love I I it is it is a lot of fun to walk in to go from office to office and play all the different Whitewoods in all the different stages that they're in. Um, and, uh, it is actually, uh, the most fun, the most fun part of my week is dealing with, um, those elements of my job. Right. Um, the less fun part of my week is, is dealing with the problems, but you know, (laughs) got to take the good with the bad. Right. I was going to ask you, what is the one thing that really keeps you up at night as you look at the future of pinball? Um, you know, I'm honestly the the things that keep me up at night are making sure that the customers are satisfied. That's the kind of stuff that makes keeps me up at night. Um, I think that, like, it doesn't keep me up. Like, I'll tell you what. Um, knowing that we can make fun stuff doesn't keep me up at night because I know that we do and and we do it routinely. Um, knowing that we can make amazing stuff doesn't bother me because you know we we do and i see it and when i play those white woods i i'm more and more impressed every time um so that's not the stuff that keeps me up the stuff that keeps me up are you know um I, I lost a lot of sleep dealing with the whole ghostbusters um you know play field issues and um you know and i and, and you know it, it i don't lose sleep but it bothers me that um you know people turn mountains into molehills out of for no particular reason you know so that kind of stuff uh concerns me because i think that i think it's bad for the hobby i think that you know people should play their games enjoy their games and um when things are really wrong with their games they 
they, they should reach out for help. But I think a lot of the things that people are focused on aren't, you know, there's nothing wrong with those games. Those games are going to be, you know, they're, they're, they're uh, going to last a long time, live forever and, um, um, and, you know, hold a resale value and all that stuff. As we look at a world that's going virtual reality and digital, are you guys concerned at all? Or is pinball that one sort of sacred analog thing that just never can be accurately replicated in a, in a virtual world? Um, it can't be. It, um, and I think that we're safe there. I think that um, a virtual presence as an extension or a complement to our product is something that we're very interested in. But it's but it's we're interested in it from the perspective of it's a different experience. It's a different entertainment experience. Right. Um, you know we you know we I'm sure you're aware we're doing a bunch of VR things and we're doing um, you know I think you know and and of course we're doing you know the usual we're trying to improve the quality of the virtual the virtual iterations of our product. We're trying very hard to improve the quality of that stuff. Um, but. I think I when I think of those methods of entertainment, I think I think of them as different methods of entertainment. I don't think of think of them as threatening or 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 that or that they will ever replace us because they right. won't. Um, no, and, and and you know it's it's it really is this just amazing thing. And you know I, I just talked to Popular Science and I've been talking to other media outlets about Magic Girl and. And even though pinball is a, a niche community, everyone's aware of what pinball is and the fascination that there's still new in box pinball machines going out the door. It, the, the market is healthy. It's 2017 is absolutely, it's amazing. And, and George, I think you guys know this, but a, a lot of it is all because of what you guys were, were able to do during the tough years. And I think everyone is really appreciative that Stern stayed with it. Because without you guys, I always tell people on Pinside, imagine a world without Stern. So remove 92% of pinball that is giving people enjoyment and you, you don't have much left. Yeah, those were, you know, and, and I'll tell you something, those were tough years, um, the, the road back. Um, and I don't, I, 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 uh, as, many, as many advancements and inroads as we've made, I still think that, um, I think the future is really bright for us and I think that you're going to see um, more growth, more consistency, um, a big focus on optimizing, um, you know, our product in terms of making it more reliable, making it, you know, making sure that we can manufacture it consistently. Um, all of those kinds of things. There's a tremendous amount of focus here. So I think we, you know, we want to we want to be in this for a very very long time, and we're doing we're proactively doing a lot of things that are invisible to the world um, that will um, ensure our place. Um, and we've, we've come a long way. I mean, that those 09 was bleak, you know, um, 2010 was bleak. And, and in 08, um, the company almost died. So, right. Well, George, personally, I want to thank you for joining us on, on episode 100. My first pinball machine that I ever had um, – was a Lord of the Rings LE. So I kind of was spoiled because <laughs> it's such a good game and the code was finished. And so I'd go on the forum and be like, what's all this talk about? Like waiting for code and all this stuff. Um, but I thank you too because I, you know, Stern, without Stern, I, I just really don't think there is a hobby. And I really don't, I think there would be like talk of old games and talk about restoring games. But in turn, I love the fact that there's new stuff. And I think the 
it, I, it makes me still feel like a kid that I can imagine how good the new games are going to be. Um, I've got my name on like five distributor lists for Star Wars already, just because I'm not going to I'm not going to miss out. Um, but George, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy, um, and we look forward to seeing you at Texas Pinball, having a beer and uh, and playing some Aerosmith. Sounds great. Yeah, actually, I owe you a beer. Uh, I owe you a beer for that cab ride to to last time we were in Texas. I will take you up. Uh, you know what the thing is? This I gave up drinking for Lent, and I'm 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 just going to have to. <laughs> suspend right. that religious uh, all right I'll buy, a, I'll buy a soda How's that? That, that'd be awesome well george right. thank you so much for your time and um, we really appreciate you being our 100th special guest on canada's pinball podcast thank you my pleasure thanks see george. you in texas yep